Chapter 7 of Six Years with the Texas Rangers, 1875 to 1881. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by J. Randolph. Six Years with the Texas Rangers, 1875 to 1881, by James B. Gillette. The Horrell Higgins Feud. By the end of the year 1876, the Indians had been pretty well pushed back off the frontier, so that there were very few fights with the Redskins after 1877. From the spring of 1877 onwards, the Rangers were transformed into what might properly be called Mounted State Police, and accordingly turned their attention to ridding the frontier of the outlaws that infested nearly every part of Texas. During the winter of 1876 to 1877, Captain Neil Coldwell broke up a band of thieves that was operating in the northwestern part of Atascosa County. I remember helping him capture a man named Wolf. He was wanted for murder, and we made several scouts after him before we succeeded in landing him safely in irons. In April 1877, Major Jones reached Coldwell's company and at once made arrangements to march up the line on a visit of inspection. When the Major reached the headwaters of the South Yano River, he halted his escort and detailed several small scouting parties of five or six men, each with orders to arrest every man that could not give a good account of himself. One scout was sent down the South Yano, a second down Johnson's Fork, while a third was ordered over the divide with the instructions to hit the head of the North Yano and sweep down that river, all three parties to rejoin Major Jones and the main escort near where Junction City now stands. In these outlaw raids, some fifty or sixty men were arrested and brought in. Many of the suspects were released upon examination, but I remember one scout brought in two escaped convicts who had been captured up on Copperas Creek. We bagged several men wanted for murder and some horse and cattle thieves. Old Kimball County never had such a clean-up of bandits in her history. While these prisoners were being held in camp, other scouts were sent out in the northern part of the county with orders to sweep Bear Creek, Gentry, Red Creek, Big and Little Saline, to cross the San Saba River in Menard County and sweep up that stream from old Pegleg Station to Menard. Many more suspects were caught in this hall. With a party of scouts, I was detailed on a mission to Fort McCavitt, at that time one of the big military posts on the frontier. Many hard characters and gamblers gathered about these posts to fleece the soldiers out of their easy-made money. We made several arrests here and camped for noon one mile below the government post on the San Saba River. During the dinner hour, my horse, a gray, in lying down to wallow, rolled on some broken beer bottles and cut his back so badly that he was unfit for use for some time. When the escort moved north, I was left with old Company D until the return of Company A on its return march some six weeks later. I thereby missed some of the exciting scouts that took place on the march north. When Major Jones reached Coleman City, he found orders from Governor Koch 
to send a scout of rangers to Lampasas County to help the civil authorities suppress a war known as the Horrell-Higgins feud. Second Sergeant N.O. Reynolds was detached from Company A and with ten men ordered to proceed to Lampasas and report to the sheriff of that county. After leaving Coleman, Major Jones visited the northernmost ranger company and began his return march. This was to be his last trip with his escort, for immediately upon his return to Austin, he was commissioned Adjutant General of Texas. As there was no longer a major of the battalion, there was no need of an escort, so old Company A took its place on the line as a stationary company. Captain Neil Coldwell was ultimately made quartermaster of the battalion, and I believe ranked as major. I was picked up at Company D by the escort on their return march, and was with Company A when it was made a stationary command, and located in Frio County. In the latter part of 1877, during the late summer, a party of filibusters under command of a Mexican general named Winkler assembled in Maverick County, near Eagle Pass, and prepared to invade Mexico. Captain Coldwell, then commanding Company A, was ordered to the Rio Grande to break up the expedition. This he did by arresting more than fifty participants. I was with him on this expedition and saw much border service during this summer. I remember a scout I was called upon to make with Captain Coldwell over in Bandera County. The captain took with him John Parker, Hawk Roberts, and myself. In one week's time we caught some ten or twelve fugitives from justice and literally filled the little old jail at Bandera. Captain Coldwell detailed Hawk Roberts and myself to capture an especially bad man wanted in Burnett County for murder. But Captain warned us to take no chances with this man. That meant to kill him if he hesitated about surrendering. I can't remember this murderer's name at this late date, but I recall perfectly the details of his capture. Sheriff Jack Hamilton of Bandera County sent a guide to show us where this fugitive lived. The guide led us some fifteen miles northwest of Bandera, and finally pointed out the house in which the murderer was supposed to be. He then refused to go any further, saying he did not want any of this man's game, for the fellow had just stood off a deputy sheriff and made him hike it back to Bandera. It was almost night when we reached the house, so Roberts and I decided to wait until morning before attempting the arrest. We staked our horses, lay down on our saddle blankets without supper, and slept soundly until dawn. As soon as it was daylight, we rode over near the house, dismounted, slipped up, and, unannounced, stepped right inside the room. The man we wanted was sleeping on a pallet with a big, white-handled forty-five near his head. Hawk Roberts kicked the pistol out of the man's reach. The noise awakened the sleeper, and he opened his eyes to find himself looking into the business ends of two Winchesters held within a foot of his head. Of course, he surrendered without a fight. His wife, who was sleeping in a bed in the same room, jumped out of it and heaped all kinds of abuse on us for entering her home without ceremony. She was especially bitter against Sheriff Hamilton, who, she said, had promised to notify her husband when he was wanted so he could come in and give himself up. She indignantly advised her husband to give old Sheriff Hamilton a D-good whipping the first chance he had. 
While Company A was rounding up outlaws along the border, Sergeant Reynolds was covering himself with glory in the north. Upon reaching Lampasas and reporting to the sheriff as ordered by Major Jones, the sergeant was told that the Horrell boys were living on the sulfur fork of the Lampasas River and were defying the authorities to arrest them. The Horrells were native Texans and had been raised on the frontier. These brothers, of which five were involved in the feud, the sixth, John Horrell, had been killed at Las Cruces, New Mexico, previously, were expert riders, and having grown up with firearms in their hands, were as quick as chained lightning with either Winchester or pistol. Sam Horrell, the eldest, was married and had a large family of children. He was a farmer and lived a quiet life over on the Lampasas River. The other four boys, Mart, Tom, Merritt, and Ben, were all cattlemen. They stood well in the community, but were considered dangerous when aroused. At this time, Lampasas was a frontier town and wide open as far as saloons and gambling were concerned. The Horrells, like most cattlemen of the period, loved to congregate in town, go to the saloons, and have a good time, perhaps drink too much, and sometimes at night shoot up the town for fun, as they termed it. Some of the more pious and more settled citizens of the town did not approve of these night brawls, and called upon Governor Edmund J. Davis, provisional governor in 1873, to give them protection. Governor Davis had formed in Texas a state police, Naturally, they were rank Republicans, and many of them were termed carpetbaggers. This body was never popular in Texas, especially as many of the force were Negroes. In answer to the call of the citizens, Governor Davis dispatched Captain Williams with three white men and one Negro to Lampasas. On the way up, Captain Williams met several freighters going to Austin and stopped one of them, Tedford Bean, to ask the distance to Lampasas. The captain had been drinking, and he told Mr. Bean he was going to town to clean up those damn horrible boys. The little squad of police reached Lampasas about 3 p.m., hitched its horse to some live oak trees on the public plaza, left the Negro to guard them, and then made a beeline to Jerry Scott's saloon on the west side of the square. Mart, Tom, and Merritt Horrell, with some ten or fifteen cowmen, were in the saloon drinking, playing billiards, and having a good time generally. One man was picking a banjo, and another playing a fiddle. Captain Williams, an exceedingly brave but unwise man, took in the situation at a glance as he walked up to the bar and called for drinks. He turned to Bill Bowen, a brother-in-law to Merritt Horrell, and said, I believe you have a six-shooter. I arrest you. "'Bill, you have done nothing and need not be arrested if you don't want to,' interrupted Mart Horrell. Like a flash of lightning, Captain Williams pulled his pistol and fired on Mart Horrell, wounding him badly. The Horrell boys drew their guns and began to fight. Captain Williams and one of his men, Dr. Daniels, were shot down in the saloon. William Cherry was killed just outside the door, and Andrew Melville was fatally wounded as he was trying to escape.' He reached the old Hewling Hotel, where he died later. At the first crack of a pistol, the Negro police mounted his horse and made a John Kilburn ride for Austin. Thus, within the twinkling of an eye, four state police were killed 
and only one of the Horrells wounded. Tom and Merritt Horrell carried the wounded Mart to their mother's home, some two hundred yards from Scott's saloon, then mounted their horses and rode away. Great excitement prevailed in the town. The state militia was called out, and Governor Davis hurried other state police to Lampasas. They scoured the country for the Horrell boys, but to no avail. Mart Horrell and Jerry Scott were arrested and carried to Georgetown, Williamson County, and placed in jail. Mart Horrell's wife went to the jail to nurse her husband, and, of course, kept her brothers-in-law informed as to Mart's condition. As soon as he was well, the Horrell boys made up a party and rode to Williamson County and assaulted the jail at night. The citizens and officers of Georgetown, taken unawares, put up a stiff fight, but the Horrells had ten or fifteen well-organized and armed men with them. They took stations at all approaches to the jail and kept up a steady fire with their Winchesters at anyone who showed up to oppose them. Mr. A. S. Fisher, a prominent lawyer of the town, took an active hand in the fight and was badly wounded. Bill Bowen was slightly hurt while battering in the jail door with a sledgehammer. Mart Horrell and Jerry Scott were liberated and rode off with their rescuers. By the next evening, the Horrells were back on Lucy's Creek. They at once made arrangements to leave the country and go to New Mexico. They had gathered about them Bill and Tom Bowen, John Dixon, Ben Turner, and six or eight other men as desperate and dangerous as themselves. They were so formidable that they no longer attempted to hide, but openly and without hindrance gathered their cattle, sold the remnant to Cooksey and Clayton to be delivered to them in Coleman County. They even notified the sheriff of Lampasas County just what day they would pass with their herd through the Russell Gap, but they were not molested. As a cowboy, I had worked for Cooksey and Clayton, and was with them when they delivered cattle to the Horrell boys on Home Creek, Coleman County. I had dinner in camp with the outlaws, and they made no effort to hide from the authorities. I remember they sat about their camps with Winchesters across their laps. When all was ready, the Horrells moved slowly out of the country with their families and cattle, and finally reached New Mexico, settling on the head of the Hondo River in Lincoln County. They had not been at their new home many months before Ben Horrell was shot and killed at a fandango near old Fort Stanton. Ben's brothers at once repaired to the dance hall and killed eight Mexicans and one woman. This brought on a war between the Horrell boys and the Mexican population along the Hondo River, and it is said that in the fights that followed, thirty or forty Mexicans were killed between Fort Stanton and Roswell. In one of those pitched battles, Ben Turner was killed. Turner was prominent in all the fights staged by the Horrells, was with them when Captain Williams was killed, and was one of the assaulting party on the Georgetown jail. His death was keenly felt by his companions. Having now outlawed themselves in New Mexico, the Horrells could no longer stay in that country. They turned back to Texas, and next year showed up at their old haunts in Lampasas County. The shock of the Civil War was beginning to subside, and the state of Texas was then under civil government with a Democratic governor in office. The friends of the Horrells advised them to surrender to the authorities and be tried for the killing of Captain Williams and his men. They were assured a fair trial by the best citizens of Lampasas County. Accordingly, the Horrells gave up, and upon trial were acquitted of the charges against them. 
The Horrells had not long been at ease before Merritt, the youngest of the brothers, was accused by Pink Higgins of unlawfully handling his cattle. Shortly afterward, while Merritt was seated unarmed in a chair in the old Jerry Scott saloon, Pink Higgins stepped to the back door of the place and shot him to death. Thus Merritt met his death in the same saloon where four years before he had been a party to the killing of Captain Williams. At this time, Mart and Tom Horrell were living down on Sulphur Fork of Lampasas River. The news of their brother's death was quickly carried to them. They armed themselves and started in a run for Lampasas. This move had been anticipated by the Pink Higgins party. They waylaid the Horrell boys outside the town, and their first fire killed Tom Horrell's horse and badly wounded Mart. Tom advanced single-handed on the attackers and put them to flight. He then partly supported and partly carried his brother to the home of Mr. Tennens, a neighbor, where a doctor was hurried to the wounded man. Thus old Lampasas County was again the scene of war with Mark, Tom, and Sam Horrell, Bill and Tom Bowen, John Dixon, and Bill Crabtree on one side, and Pink Higgins, Bob Mitchell, and their friends on the other. These two factions met in the town of Lampasas, and a furious battle followed. A man was killed on each side, and the population greatly endangered. Hence the governor's order to Major Jones to send rangers to the aid of the officers at Lampasas. When Sergeant N. O. Reynolds reported to the sheriff of Lampasas, he was informed that the Horrell boys were living ten miles east of Lampasas, and had ten or twelve desperate men with them so that it meant certain death to anyone making an attempt to capture them. But, Mr. Sheriff, I am here to effect the capture of all offenders against the law, and it is my duty to at least make the attempt, replied the brave Reynolds. These men have never been arrested, declared Sheriff Sweet, and it is my honest opinion they cannot be. Reynolds then asked if the sheriff would send a guy to show him where the Horrells lived. The rangers under the intrepid Reynolds left Lampasas late in the night, and finally the guide pointed at a flickering light about a mile off. "'There's where the Horrell boys live. I am going back to town,' he said. When asked if he would not accompany the rangers to the house, the guide replied, "'No, not for a million dollars.' With that he turned his horse and rode away. Reynolds thought it would be best to wait until daylight before attempting the arrest, he planned to surprise the outlaws, if such a thing were possible, but if the rangers were discovered and an engagement came on, they were to fight to the last man. As soon as dawn broke, the rangers wended their way on foot to the Horrell brothers' ranch. It was a moment of great anxiety as they approached the house, but not a sound was heard, not a dog barked. Sergeant Reynolds and his men tiptoed right into the room in which the Horrells were sleeping. Some of the men were on pallets on the floor, while others slept in beds in the one big room. Each ranger pointed a cocked Winchester at the head of a sleeper. Reynolds then spoke to Matt Horrell. At the sound of his voice, every man sat up in bed and found himself looking into the muzzle of a gun. The sergeant quickly explained that he was a ranger and had come to arrest them. Mart replied they could not surrender and Tom Horrell said it would be better to die fighting than to be mobbed. This gave Reynolds his cue. 
He warned the outlaws that if anything was started, there would be a dozen dead men in that house in one minute, and advised them to listen to what he had to say. He then guaranteed the Horrells upon his honor that he would not turn them over to the sheriff to be put in jail and mobbed, but promised he would guard them in his camp until they could secure a preliminary examination and give bond. "'Boys, this seems reasonable,' said Mart Horrell, rising to his feet. "'I believe these rangers can be relied upon to protect us. "'Besides, this fight has been thrust upon us. "'If we can get a hearing, we can give bond.' They all agreed, finally, to this proposition of Sergeant Reynolds, and laid down their arms, mounted their horses, and under guard of the rangers were marched into the town of Lampasas. The news of the capture of the Horrells spread like wildfire through the town and county. Hundreds of people flocked to Lampasas to see Sergeant Reynolds, the man that had accomplished the impossible in rounding up the most desperate band of men that ever lived. The news was rushed to Austin, and General Jones himself hurried to the scene. This act of Sergeant Reynolds covered him with glory, and brought his name imperishable renown. He was at once commissioned First Lieutenant, commanding Company E. The Horrell boys were admitted to bond after a preliminary hearing. After their release, Mart Horrell came to Lieutenant Reynolds, and feelingly thanked him for carrying out his promise. With tears streaming down his face, he grasped the lieutenant's hand and said, You are undoubtedly the bravest man in the world today. These unfortunate men were later shot to death in the Meridian Jail. The Higgins and Mitchell parties surrendered to the authorities. Pink Higgins was tried and acquitted of the murder of Merritt Horrell. This ended the feud but it started Lieutenant Reynolds on a new and important phase of his career as a ranger. End of chapter 7